Today on Awaken to Grace, I want to share with you a wonderful sermon that is very close to my heart because I'm a pastor. And when you read what Paul wrote to the believers, to the Christians in Ephesus, he writes to them from his pastor's heart. And it's very special what he has to say, not only to the church then at Ephesus, but to the church of every generation, as Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21 says. I want to talk today about what it means to really be part of a church family. Perhaps you're listening, and uh, perhaps you've not been connected to a church in quite some time. Maybe it's that you got hurt in a church or the busyness of life has somehow drifted you away from being connected to a church. I hope that you'll listen closely today to what Paul tells us, what a true church looks like, the spiritual strength that comes, making Christ at home in our hearts, and the many other wonderful things that he shares concerning church life. I hope that you'll share today's broadcast with a friend, that you'll consider downloading our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to entitle today, Around the Table. Around the Table. I'm going to talk about what it means for us to be a church family, because I want to be crystal clear. Our goal as a church is not to fill the building. That has never been our goal. Our goal is not to fill as many chairs as what we possibly can. Our goal is not to create a crowd. Anyone these days can create a crowd. You have enough entertainment. You have enough something that's different and all of a sudden, people show up and you can easily have a crowd. But our goal is not to be a crowd. Our goal is to be a family. And the Bible has some very specific things to say concerning church family and what church family life looks like. And so today, I recognize and I realize that there are so many different backgrounds because where we are in non-denominational church, we get so many backgrounds walking in our doors. And for different people, the idea of a church family looks different from every, for everyone. And so what I want to do is look at Ephesians chapter 3, and I believe that 2020 is going to be the absolute greatest year that our church has ever experienced. And let me tell you, last year was hard to beat because God was all over last year, wasn't he? And I think 2020 is going to be far stronger. But I want to see in that it's not just strong services. It's not just strong moves of the Holy Spirit. It's not just strong events and outreaches. It's not strong kids ministries only or student ministries. It's not only strong programming. It is the strength of being the people of God, the church, the family of God that God intends us to be. And Ephesians 3 is a big key to that, okay? So it doesn't matter what your previous idea of church uh, family looks like. You may have been in this denomination. 
You may have been around this certain church culture. You realize different churches have different cultures. Did you know that? We have a certain culture here. Every church has a different culture. And it's not, and what I want to get to today is it's not necessarily the culture, it's not necessarily the style, or it's not necessarily the preference. It's being a church family. And what does that look like? Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 14. Now, as you know, I'm unable to see a Bible or a computer or whatever, so I do my best to memorize the text. And uh, as I was memorizing this text, it seemed like every time I went through it, I would miss a huge phrase here or a huge phrase there, missed a couple of phrases a couple of times, so it's got me a little nervous. So will you help me this morning? Will you pray for me? This is a lot of scripture. And it's not just, uh, it's, it's, it's weighty. It's, it's got meat to the bones, all right? Begin with me. All of chapter 3 is wonderful. <coughs> And Paul lays out a masterful argument of how the church is the hidden mystery of God. Let's begin in verse number 14. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I love that phrase. Let's just stop right there for just a moment. Listen, Paul could have said, I bow my knees before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that would have been appropriate. He could have said, I bow my knees before the king of the universe. That would have been appropriate. He could have said before the sovereign God, almighty, and that would have been appropriate. But what word does Paul use? Father. Oh, I love this. See, this is going to set the tone for the whole rest of this section of Scripture. How did Jesus teach us how to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you realize, see, are you and I approaching God with this incredible respect, with this incredible yieldedness, with this incredible submission? I love that Paul says, I bow my knees. Child of God who's living in this affluent, wealthy American lifestyle where anyone can work hard and obtain the American dream. Friend, do you ever get down on your knees before the Lord? Is that part of your daily? Is that part of your weekly? Is that part of your Christian routine? Do you get down? Do you humble in all of your luxury? in all of your favorite furnitures, in all of your comforts of your beds and the comforts of your home and for many, the comforts of your office or in, in, in your comfortable car. For all of our comfort, do we ever get down and humble ourselves before the Lord? There's enough right there just to chew on, isn't there? And what does he say? Before the Father. <clears throat> Now, how many of you, my office is back here to the back, the French doors, right beyond, goes to my office. How many of you would swing open my doors, waltz behind my desk, 
sit in my big black leather chair and turn my computer on and just start looking around? Would you do that? Would you go to my office and just... Most probably wouldn't. But do you know who does? My kids. My kids, my kids are all over my office. I, we had a deacons meeting and wives meeting uh, last night and had a great prayer time. And we, it was about 8 o'clock when we were done. And I walked into my office and I could hear something rattling on my desk. And it was my two-and-a-half-year-old Hudson. He was on top of my desk. We have a bowl that we keep a lot of our church keys in. And there's some change down in that bowl and that little boy loves change. Quarters, nickels, dimes, pennies, it doesn't matter. He had a whole fistful of change saying, my change. And I said, that's not your change. Put that back. But he's all over, all of them. They're all over. Why? Because I'm their father. What I have, they have access to. Amen? And do you approach God as your father? Are you humbled before him? I bow my knees, Paul said, before the Father. From whom all families in heaven and on the earth is from. Listen, that doesn't mean that every single family unit, God is their father. Paul is speaking in spiritual terms here. Paul is, the Bible could not be more crystal clear that unless you're born again, you're of your father, the devil. And if you're born again, you're of your father, God Almighty. The Bible could not be any more crystal clear. And so when he says the families in heaven and on earth, oh, I get so excited about this because do you know what he's talking about? Our spiritual family, the church. Now, let me tell you how excited I get. In the last verse, verse 21 of Ephesians 3, he says, Now, unto God be glory through the church and through Jesus Christ forever. From all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, do you realize that you and I are part of that narrative? Do you realize that because you and I are part of the church, we are blood-bought into the church of Jesus Christ, that you and I, right now, today, we are giving glory to God in every generation forever and ever, and you and I are part of that narrative. I remember watching a testimony years ago of a businessman who was being baptized, And this was a big businessman, and you could just tell by the way he carried himself and by the way that he talked and even just the demeanor of his life. You could tell that he was highly intelligent, very analytical. And this man was being baptized, and I don't know if I've ever seen such humility on a man. He had went through a divorce and had moved into a different house, and while unpacking his things, he came across a Bible. And he had never read the Bible. As smart and intelligent as this man was, as well well as he did in business, he had never taken the time to read the Bible. And the man said, as he was unpacking his things, about 10 o'clock at night, he sat down at his kitchen table and he began to read the Word of God. And he said, the next thing I knew, and he began crying. And he said, the next thing I knew, the sun was coming up. He had read all night long. 
And he stood in that great baptismal pool. And he began to weep. And he said, I want to thank God for allowing me to be part of the church. Do you and I have that love? Do you and I have that gratitude? Do you and I have the awe and the wonder and the joy of being part of the church of Jesus Christ? For see, Paul said, this is the mystery of the ages. Read Ephesians 3. The mystery is that God would allow Gentiles, those of us who are non-Jews, to become heirs of the kingdom of God. See, I think that Satan understood the cross. I think that's why Matthew 4, Jesus went through the wilderness experience. I think Satan was trying to get Christ to bypass the cross. I think, I think perhaps he understood the significance of the cross. Perhaps he understood the significance of the resurrection. But let me tell you, the one thing that Satan did not understand, could not comprehend, and never saw coming... It was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and indwelt his people. And what did Jesus say? Think about it. Jesus said everywhere that Jesus went, he wrecked the kingdom of darkness. He set people free. Demons were cast out. People were healed. Oppression was broken. Everywhere he went, he was like a wrecking ball to the kingdom of darkness, right? And what did Jesus say? Don't marvel at the things that I do. Jesus said, you'll do these things and even greater. Amen? Now, what did he mean by even greater? I think there's a few meanings, but let me tell you what, I, uh, what applies today. Here's what I think he meant by greater. It will be multiplied. <laughs> and you see, now that the Holy Spirit indwells us, now that Christ indwells our heart, and we are utterly filled with the Holy Spirit, as our text says, we are filled with the fullness of God. Now, it's not one Jesus walking around in one region. You got multiple Christ followers filled with the fullness of God, breaking the works of darkness. Amen? And this is what we're called to. We're not called to come to church and enjoy music. We're not called to sip coffee and, and, and just get in a little book club. No, we're called to be filled with the power of God. We're called to set people free. We're called to break the darkness of our city. That's the purpose why you're saved. Not to sit here in a 23-inch padded chair. Amen? God has saved you. He has set you apart. Oh, he has made you part of the most magnificent thing in all of this universe. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. And you know what? He still walks among his church. This impeachment mess going on. All this Washington bickering and fighting and arguing. Do you think that God's walking among the halls of the Capitol? Oh, we know he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But the Bible never says he walked among the buildings of Rome. Never says he walked among the Senate of Rome. Do you know where God walks? Among his church. 
And you and I are gloriously part of it. Amen. So watch what he says. I bow my knees before the Father, Abba, Papa, Daddy. I bow my knees before the Father from whom all families in heaven and earth are named. That according to his riches and glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you what God's doing in me right now. Let me tell you what I'm walking out in my own personal life. People will come to me, and I've shared with you before, sometimes it frustrates me because people will say, well, Chad, how are you doing? I don't mind for people to ask me how I'm doing. It's a legitimate question. I'm blind as a bat. Can't see anything. How are you doing? I don't mind that. But what gets on my nerves is when I say I'm doing good, and they go, no, now how are you really doing? Now that gets on my nerves. (laughs) And let me tell you why it gets on my nerves. Because you would not believe how good I'm doing. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. There were so many things that I wasn't ready for with blindness. Knowing I was losing sight, I, I tried to mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally with my family. I tried to get professionally with my church. I tried in every way to be prepared, but there's some things you just can't be prepared for, right? One thing I wasn't prepared for was money. Uh, I can't tell now, I can't tell if I'm holding a $1 bill or a $50 bill. I don't know if it's a 20 or a 10 or a 5 or a 100, which it don't matter. Sadie never let me play with money anyway, so it don't. <laughs> there really hadn't been nothing changed in that regard. But it surprised me that that I couldn't tell the difference. Another thing that that surprised me is I I always dreamed, but I I didn't pay attention to my dreams like I do now. And what a thing it is to dream in brilliant color. I mean, I can see, I can see every detail of everything in my dreams and then wake up and it's pitch black. Now that's odd. But let me tell you, it's not drudgery. I don't go around, (sighs) (sighs) how are you doing, Chad? I guess I'm holding on. Well, Chad, how are things going? Well, I guess God's good. I don't know. I don't know if he is or not. I don't know. Well, Chad, is God helping you? I guess some days he does. Some days he doesn't. No, that's not. Let me tell you what I've tapped into that I didn't know the Lord's helped me. I I didn't know this. I knew, based on the Bible, that God's grace would be sufficient, but I didn't know how sufficient. Do you know how sufficient? Let me tell you what I'm learning. Watch what the text says. That God may grant you to be strengthened (laughs) with power. Hallelujah. Dunamis, dynamite. Dynamic, explosive power in your life. How? Through your own strength? No, because it's not sufficient. Through what? Through his spirit. Amen? And watch what he says. That you may be strengthened with all power by his spirit in your inner man. 
Hallelujah. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned I don't live life out of my flesh. My joy doesn't come from my flesh, from what I have or what I've lost or how I feel. I don't live out of my flesh. I live out of my spirit because my spirit is who I truly am. Amen? Decades and decades and decades past, you and I aren't going to look like we look like today. Right? But we're going to be the same person because our spirit man. And Paul was so right in Colossians when he said, the outward man is wasting away day by day, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. Amen? Let me tell you how good this is. You know what that word renewed is in the Greek? You know what the original meaning of renewed is? It means to renovate. Hallelujah. Some of you weren't in this building before we renovated it. But let me tell you what we did a couple years ago. We ripped out all the old carpet. I mean, we painted the walls. We built this big foyer, this vest, you know, lobby, whatever you call it. We built this wall. You didn't see it when it looked like what it did. And you know what happens when you renovate something? If you rip out something, you can't just leave it. You got to replace it with something. And this is where some of you are missing it in your Christian life. God is wanting to renew you. He's wanting to rip out sin out of your life. He's wanting to rip out habits out of your life. He's wanting to rip out attitudes out of your life. And then you go, well, now I don't know what to do. You got to replace it. Amen? God will replace it with greater love and greater peace and greater joy. He'll replace it with the spirit of God within you. Amen. Are you being renovated by God? Is God right now ripping things out of your life? Is he ripping people out of your life? Is he ripping situations out of your life? Is he ripping comfort out of your life? Let God do his renovation. Because let me tell you, when God takes something out, hallelujah, he puts something greater in. Amen? And although the outward man is wasting away, Day by day, this inward man is being renewed, being renovated by the glory of God day by day. And I'm learning. I'm telling you by experience. I am learning how to walk in the power of God every single day. Not in me and not in my strength, but by the Holy Spirit within me, strengthening me, that inner man. Amen? Then watch what he says. So that you get that Holy Spirit renovating you. You get that Holy Spirit strengthening that inner man. Then guess what? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now this is an interesting Greek word. We know that Christ indwells every believer, right? I mean, even the believers that aren't as serious with their faith as they should be. Believers who perhaps are dabbling in some worldly things they ought not be, Christ indwells them. But listen to this. This doesn't mean indwell as in Christ is simply there. Are you ready for this? The Greek word for dwell literally means to be made to feel at home. Wow. Is God at home in your lifestyle? Is God so welcome in the way that you think your thought life? 
in the way that you talk, in the hobbies that you enjoy, in the things that you spend your money on, in your entertainment? Is God so welcomed in your life that not only is he dwelling there, but oh, he is at home there. And he's pleased to dwell in you. Oh, I want you to hear my pastor's heart. I'm not throwing stones at you, but I want you to hear my heart. Many of you subject Christ to all kinds of sins. Is he at home in you? Does he feel comfortable in your heart? I want to make my heart truly Christ's home. I want him welcomed in every area of my life to the point he is pleased to reside within me. Can we say amen to that? So that, being rooted and grounded in love, you will have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth so that you would know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, which surpasses knowledge. Here it is. And that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Amen. Now unto him who's able to do far and above all that we may ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. What power? Christ is strengthening your inner man. Christ is indwelling your heart. He's at home inside your lifestyle. You're walking in that agape love. You're walking in that wonderful, you're so rooted and you're so grounded in love. Let let me explain that for two seconds. Are you with me? Just say amen if you're with me. Two seconds right here. This, when, when we are rooted and we are grounded and we are walking in love, do you know what the word love is here? It's the same word we dealt with last week. It is agape love. And what's so special about agape? You know, often I'll sit in counseling with couples and they'll explain to me how they have fallen out of love with one another. Fallen out of love. No, my friends, that's not the case. That is a deception and that is a lie from Satan. You realize, first of all, love's a choice. So that blows that argument out of the water. And I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says, if the grass is starting to look better on the other side, it's time to water your own lawn. Amen? Isn't that a good saying right there? That's good. But let me tell you, I, listen, I, can, I feel the Holy Spirit is going to speak to either a marriage or many marriages. But listen to this. When you walk in agape love, when you are rooted and you are grounded in agape love, listen, this love does not fluctuate. <laughs> agape love is not emotional. Agape love doesn't have any stipulations to it. Agape love is so constant. It is so stable. It is without any condition. It is an absolute unconditional type of love. And God will give you that kind of love for your spouse. 
God will give you that kind of love for your children. God will give you that kind of love for your neighbors. God will give you that kind of love for your coworkers. God wants to so saturate you in an agape, unconditional love that you're able to love people in an extraordinary way. But see, in our culture, it's what do I get out of it? That's not love. Our culture is, well, how do I feel? That's not agape love. Because agape love isn't about an emotional type of love. It is about unconditional, constant, stable love. And you invite that into your marriage? Come on now, right? You you begin to pray that over your marriage? Then what's going to happen? The Christ who is at home in your heart is going to begin to strengthen that inner man. And you're going to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And you say, Chad, I don't know if it's going to work. No, my friend. Now unto him who is able to do far and exceedingly above all that you may ask or think. According to the power that is at work within us. Amen. Now to him be glory through the church and through Christ Jesus in every generation forever and ever. Amen. As I transition today, I'm going to ask some people to hand out a sheet of paper. And I'm only going to be a few more minutes. And I want to transition right here to something very close to my heart. Are we handing out the papers? All right. As they hand this paper out, I have tried today to show you that, number one, we are a spiritual family. God is our Father. I've tried to show you that you are saved for far greater purpose than sitting in a chair. Your life can be strengthened with the endunamo, that glorious strength of the Lord working that dunamis, that power in your life through the Spirit of God in your inner man. I've shown you how Christ wants to be at home in you. And I've shown you how when that happens, God is able to work in your life far and above, exceedingly far and above all that you can even ask or think. And that God will be glorified through us, not just now, but in this generation and forever and ever. Amen. Now I want to show you pastorally as we get set for 2020. I want to show you my heart and my desire as a pastor for you. There are three very quick things that I want you to write down on this sheet of paper. These are questions that at the end of last year and the first month of this year that I have been asking myself pastorally And I want to share with you. Number one, I've been asking myself as a pastor, as a church, who do I want us to become? I want you to write that down. Who are we going to become? You know, churches get reputations and they're known for certain things. Some churches are known for missions. Some churches are known for their music. Some churches are known for their outreaches. Some churches are known for their kids' programs, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And all of those are important, and they all matter. But when I wonder 
what do I want us to become in the eyes of God? This is the word that I feel the Lord's leading me in. And I want you to answer that question with this. Godly. God wants his church to be godly. I'm just going to be honest with you. I have no interest in building a big church. Crying out loud, I couldn't see it if it was big. So what does it matter? I have no interest in building a big church. I want to see us be a godly people. I want to see Christ formed in us. I want to see holiness among our people. I want you, perhaps you're a guest today, but if you're feeling drawn to this church and this is your church, I want you to ask yourself a question. Am I growing in godliness? I'm learning that great scripture, godliness with contentment is great gain. The greatest gains of my life right now are godliness and contentment. Are you growing in godliness? Number two, I want you to write this question down. Where are we going as a church? Where are we going? What's going to have our attention? Because there's many worthy things. We're, we, we spent a while last night, uh, a while, we spent hours last night talking and praying about homelessness in our city. And let me tell you, I know you're, see, you're seeing all the bickering and all the fighting and nobody's got the answer, the one answer. Uh, listen, no, uh, oh. There are many causes to take up. There are many important things. When it comes to homelessness, we're going to do what God tells us to do. And our leaders are seeking the face of God to tell us what to do. And everybody else can fight. We're going to pray and we're going to work. Um, but where are we going? What's going to have our attention? Well, this is what I want you to write in. Relationships. We need to become a far more relational church. But, Do you realize that people right now are driving from 18 different zip codes? It's hard to build relationships with as many people as what's coming and from all different directions. But see, especially when we get into our adulthood years, friendships don't just happen. You know that, right? You may have had school relationships that just happened, but not when you're an adult. Friendships are created, they're intentional. And I want to see us become a church of deeper friends, of knowing one another. Friends, if we don't know one another, how are we going to bear one another's burdens? If we don't know one another, how are we going to pray for one another, right? How are we going to enjoy one another? How are we going to serve alongside one another? Lastly, write this down. So, Who do I want us to become? The answer is godly. Where do I want us to go? The answer is in the direction of relationships. And lastly, what do I want us to do? 
Very simple answer. Here's the action. Join a small group. Join a small group. And I know that there are different strokes for different folks. And I know that, you know, some people would resist small groups. One, because maybe they've never done one. One, because maybe they're just not familiar enough. One, because maybe they were part of one in the past that was, quite frankly, boring. Or didn't connect. Or didn't jive. Whatever. Friends, I I want you to hear my heart right now. Small groups is the answer because there's no greater way that you're going to build friendships and relationships in the church than being part of a small group. And there's no greater way you're going to grow in personal godliness than growing with other believers. You know why Hayden is growing the way he is? Because Brett's growing the way he is, and iron sharpens iron. And Hayden told me himself, I go to Brett's house and his Bible's always open. He said, you know what that spoke to me as a father and as a husband? It's not as hard as we make it out to be. Join a small group. Now, on your your picture, let, let me show you this and then I'm finished today. This is our model. We're going to call it the foyer, the living room, and the kitchen. The foyer, the living room, and the kitchen. And all this is, is a way to show you where you are in the life of our church. Where you are in this house. Now, you think about it, a foyer in your own home, what is a foyer meant for? A foyer receives guests, right? Most people come through the front door. Your house may be laid out a little different, but for most people, the front door and the foyer is where guests first walk in. Well, for us, that's our Sunday morning environments and other services. Right now, I think Glenn told me we have eight services a week going on in this church. Eight a week. And right now, people gather through the foyer. Guests come in, others come in, people checking it out, people who are seeing if this is where God wants them. Every, we all gather right here in the foyer. But friends, there's a next step. And this is what I want you to see today. You're so part of a church. You are so part of the glorious church. And I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the church, the capital C. I'm talking about the church that God walks among. You are so part of the glorious church. Don't just stay in the foyer. Are you hearing my heart? Don't just hang out in the foyer. There's another step. That's the living room. Now, what is a living room used for? A living room is usually that part of the house where we butt furniture up against one another and face it to one another to where we can talk and we can get to know each other. If you were to come over to my house tonight, say you were to come over and hang out, well, you probably wouldn't want to because Hudson broke out our front window. It's a little chilly in our house right now. But if you came over to our house right now, We would sit in the living room. And the living room is where you talk. The living room is where you get to know one another. You you go from acquaintances to friends. For us in this church, the living room means serving on teams. That means jump into a ministry team. Somewhere where you're serving with people who think like you do and they have the same passions. They, They Perhaps you're even gifted in similar ways. And right now, I'm watching teams become family. 
I was so blessed the other day. Uh, one of our young men, we got so many young men in our church that God is calling and God's using. And one of our young men went through a really difficult situation in, in home and he stood up a couple of Tuesdays ago at a prayer meeting and, and testified about it. And he had this big issue going on, work and home and all this stress. And, and, and let me tell you, he's part of our safety team. And, and do you know who this guy called? He didn't call Pastor Chad. Kind of hurt my feelings, but whatever. He didn't call Pastor Chad. Do you know who he called? He called his team leader. They went to lunch together. And that brother poured in to this younger brother. Changed his life. And he testified about it at a prayer meeting a couple weeks ago. A few, some months ago, I met a family who was first coming to, oh, I thought they were first, uh, they walked up to me in the lobby and introduced themselves and said, we've been attending your church. And of course, you know, I can't see, so I didn't know that. And I said, well, how long have you been coming? They said, about six months. I was appalled. I said, you've been coming six months and I'm just now meeting you? I said, I am so sorry. Do you know what they told me? They said, oh, it's no problem. They said, Debbie and Greg Gillum's our small group leaders. It's exactly what it's supposed to be like. Exactly. So you join teams and you serve with people who are gifted like you, think like you, perhaps sometimes in the same season of life as you. But that's where you become friends. That's where you go from acquaintance to friends. Now, the last step is the kitchen. I don't know what your house is like, but at our house, Sadie does a great job when she cooks dinner, although a lot of ours is cook out, but whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, but whenever we eat, <laughs> be that she cooked or fast food, whatever. When, we, when our family gets around the table, she does so good at saying cell phones off, TV off. This is family time. I read a book by James Dobson where he asked, kids in their 20s, what was the most meaningful thing of growing up? And do you know what most of them said? The dinner table. Do you know why, friends? It's because it's around our table that the most meaningful conversations take place. That's where you really feel like family. And some of you, and I want you to hear me, I love you. And I want you to feel at home in this church but some of you are hanging out in the foyer and it's time you step into the living room. And there are some of you that's been in the living room for a while. You serve here, you serve there, you do. Thank you. But friend, it's time to come into the kitchen with us because it's around the table that the most meaningful conversations are gonna take place. You cannot grow as God intends you to grow with a 90-minute service one day a week.